Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, mom to Skylar, my incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast five years ago was that the content of each episode brings hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I sincerely hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life underscore Lori Hellman. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes or Audible, please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season five of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Pam Blanton. Pam founded Partners for Housing to provide a better way for families of people with intellectual or developmental disabilities to find roommates and set up shared housing solutions. Her career has spanned 30 years in special needs housing, and she is an acknowledged expert in her field and a Friends of Housing Award honoree. As housing coordinator in Seattle, Pam assisted 450 people with IDD with their move into housing over a five-year period and has an in-depth working knowledge of how to help people navigate SSI, SSDI, state residential support, Medicaid-funded personal care services, supported employment income, and Section 8 housing subsidies. It has been said about Pam that she is an indomitable problem solver. She loves to work with parents to solve their unique challenges and leave their world a little better than she found it. So please enjoy my very informative conversation with Pam Blanton. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Pam Blanton um, with Partners for Housing. Uh, if you guys listened to the episode that aired um, a week or two ago with um, Betsy Hicks-Russ, she talked a lot about Partners for Housing, and she is who introduced me to Partners for Housing and Pam. So I'm really grateful for that new relationship. So welcome to the podcast, Pam. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. I know we got a chance to talk the other night um, on a personal basis, just about our um, future with Skylar and housing and all of those things. So I thought that was perfect timing, really, because what I would like to do is kind of walk the listeners through what to expect kind of with the um, Partners for Housing process and if they were to reach out to you for assistance. And since I've been through it, I can <laughs> chime in about my experience too. Um, but before we get into all of that, um, I failed to ask you the other night when we were talking how your love of helping special needs families kind of came to be. You've been in this career a really long time and um, you have to be passionate about it to do this. It's hard work and it's emotional work, I'm sure. So how did this come to be for you? Yes, well, um I started working with the housing finance program in Seattle. And um, at the time, we were a funder for affordable housing projects. So nonprofit developers would apply to us for funding to create long-term affordable housing. And um, our director at the time wanted one person to specialize in each service system 
because when they fund housing projects, they have to know that the projects will have the support they need to be viable for a 40-year period. Mm. So they want somebody to specialize in um, senior housing, veterans housing, and housing for people with developmental disabilities. And when they asked that, I raised my hand quickly for people working with developmental disabilities because I have a very dear friend who has twin girls with developmental disabilities. And I we always were wondering where, where are Lily and Annie gonna live? Mm-hmm. And so I raised my hand and um, you know, it became very easy to from from my experience to start seeing little changes that could be made that would help families access housing for their loved one with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And every time I saw an opportunity, I would run over to the director of the developmental disabilities division and say, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? It's very small. And ultimately she said, why don't you come work for us? And they created a housing coordinator position. Um, and I took the position and I started working as housing coordinator for the developmental disabilities division. And at the time, we were the our local housing authority was starting this really innovative new Section 8 program for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I dove right in and learned all about how Section 8 can help families afford housing. And in a five-year period, we moved 450 people out of their family home onto Section 8 and learned a lot about what is possible. And, you know, once you start working with Mm -hmm. families who have kids with disabilities, it's such an inspiring group of families. And it, you know, it grabbed my heart. And so there I've been. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we need people like you who are invested in it too. I mean, it, it always seems like when I'm talking to parents from all over the country and out of the country, really, they're the ones that are generating these or building these homes or building these communities and trying to like create day programs and all the resources that we know we need because nobody outside of this life seems to really want to help us because it doesn't affect them directly. So they're like, you know, how badly do they really need these things? So I, I'm always just like beyond excited when I meet someone like you who doesn't directly have, um, you know, children on the spectrum or any other disability, but that it's close enough with having such a close friend who probably could share some insight with you along the way too of, of what her girls needed and, you know, as far as housing goes and programming goes. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's such meaningful work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's it's very meaningful, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do it. I also noticed along the way, you know, there's so many different siloed social service programs, mm-hmm. and most people don't know how to navigate across them. And I was in a unique position as housing coordinator to work across multiple systems, and they do interact with each other yet the people in their silo don't always know how to tell families how to do that yeah so um yes it is very siloed and very confusing as I learned I mean I learned so much from you the other night so I'm really anxious to get into that um because there's just you don't know what you don't know and and the worst part of it is I don't 
always know who to ask. I didn't realize I didn't know a lot of these things. But then once I kind of get a little, you know, Birdie tells me a little bit, of like Betsy's told me all kinds of things. I'm like, well, how do I find that? And who who is an advocate in my community to like hold my hand through this process? So, um, so how long? And it matters a lot what question you ask and who you ask and and the answer you get. And a lot (laughs) of people answer questions without really knowing the answer, which Mm -hmm. can really lead families astray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for years. And then we kind of miss out on some things because we either age out of that program or don't know about something that we can't get on yet. So that's where we need all this advice. So how long have you been with Partners for Housing then? So I started Partners for Housing in 2010. Okay. Um, I've, I've been more than 30 years working in housing and services for people with disabilities. Started Partners for Housing in 2010 with the idea of creating a match.com type yeah. program where families could find compatible roommates and fa- other families that share vision and values so they could work together. Mm-hmm. So um, so I was I started in 2010. Um, primarily me, um, I, I've had part-time people working with me over, over the years, a little bit here and there. Um, and, but just primarily consulting with families. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the website and there's so much out there, but one of the statements on the website is that, um, you know, along the mission of partners for housing is empowering your vision of a home or of home for people. And I think that's one of the the first things that a lot of parents mention. And, and like myself, the thought of your adult child living elsewhere is frightening. I mean, that's just one word to describe it, but just the idea of moving um, you, you know, your child out of your immediate care and into another facility it, it's, it's frightening, but it's also, it's, just, there's so much you don't know. And um, I love that you guys have everything outlined on the website about the different types of homes, the questionnaires you fill out that, like you said, the roommate matches and all of that. So um, I guess, can you start the listeners with uh, what, what they would do first working with you guys? I just said, I, I've gone through the process, so I, I know it's very easy. Um, it's very thorough. I was surprised at how lengthy the questionnaire is, but I was glad that it wasn't one page. You ask a lot of tough questions on there, which has to be asked because that's the only way to really match people and and get the right housing option for a family. So what is the what is the first step that people need to take if they are interested in working with you guys? Yeah, so the first step is our benefits and housing review. This is the online questionnaire. It is a lot of questions and we ask a lot of questions because, you know, first of all, it's helpful for families to know what questions to ask mm-hmm. and it gets them thinking. Um, but the que- the questionnaire looks at a lot of things. When we started, the questionnaire was designed to be a matching tool to, um, find compatible roommates, right? So what are those those kind of questions? Once we started selling it and people started completing it, we realized how many people didn't have all the benefits that they were entitled to. So we tweaked the assessment many times over the years. 
And um, and now we, we're looking at what benefits do you have? Um, what benefits do you need? What is your vision of housing? And so that questionnaire, once families complete it, we can do a review and have a really good consultation with families afterwards because all the big questions are are answered. Mm-hmm. And so we we want to start with helping families get all the benefits that they're eligible for and and learn about things like Section 8, which is really hard to understand and get information about um, so that they can dream big in their housing vision. And the idea is you know, to help families create a a unique housing solution that meets the needs of their loved one. And it's because the families that I had met and was was working with, they they wanted other options besides a a vacant bedroom in a group home, right? Mm -hmm. They had real ideas of what they wanted. They wanted choice and control, choice of roommates and housing location and caregivers and they wanted control over what what went on in in that particular home which a lot of times in a group home setting they don't get those options Mm -hmm. so do you help families find um i know there are various types of housing arrangements so you mentioned group home i know that there's um different names for different things and depending on the state you live in but um also like assisted living facilities um which is also a non roommate choice. Like you just are placed in a bed that's free. Um, do you guys help with that? Or is it predominantly like shared housing where a family finds a home or an apartment or something, and they kind of coordinate with another family to have roommates and things like that. Is that predominantly what you guys are focused on? So we start with telling families about the options that are available. Okay. And, and sometimes in, so in the state of Washington, there are two options, basically. An adult family home, which is where there's six people living in a home owned and operate, operated by a caregiver. It's licensed by the state. Th- that's one option. Anybody with Medicaid is entitled to live in that kind of a, of, of a home. The challenge with that model is that it is a model that was designed for seniors, and they try to use that model um, for younger adults with disabilities, which isn't always appropriate for a 23-year-old to live with a 90-year-old. There are different stages of life, mm-hmm. but there are some great adult family homes, and sometimes that's the best option for families. So we mm-hmm. talk about that. We talk about how do you find them and and um, you know what they look out, how, how they cost. Um, And there's another option in our state called supported living. Mm -hmm. This is really for people with the highest support needs, requires a higher level of waiver than most people have. And it's not an entitlement, meaning that people are added to that program as funding allows. And it's typically, like I said, people with the highest level of need or families that are really in crisis. Um, In that model, the state contracts with an agency to provide 24-7 support to a home. And um, the agency's hiring the caregivers. And um, and and so those are the two options. And, and what we found were there were so many families 
that said, hey, neither of those models work for us. Mm-hmm. We know what we want. And if we could partner with other families, we we could have enough services um, to create something unique for our loved one and and sort of provide that oversight ourselves. And so that's where we focus. That's another set of services called shared living development. But there are a lot of people that do our benefits and housing review that don't go into shared living development. So um, shared living development, shared living is really a family driven model. Mm-hmm. Um, and in instead of sort of a state provided solution. And that's where the families find the caregivers on their own. They deal with the funding, however, they're going to you know, charge rent or whatever they're going to do. And I, I would guess in some cases that they choose not to have roommates for their loved one. They just have them then with the caregiver and that's it. And yeah. Some, so yeah. some families, yep. Sometimes there's roommates, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. So to date, we've helped families create 57 shared living homes serving wow. 135 people. Um, those homes all have a live-in caregiver and sometimes two. So you might have one person with two living caregivers, somebody who has really high needs. Mm-hmm. You might have three people, roommates living together that all go off to work every day and just need somebody to make sure they have healthy meals and put, take their jacket with them when it's cold. Um, <laughs> so just a, less oversight. And there are people who come to us, find compatible roommates in our roommate matching pool and maybe their loved one doesn't need a live-in caregiver. Maybe they just need some support to come in three days a week to help with some things like cooking, cleaning, shopping, some of those activities of daily living. And they're not, they wouldn't go through our, our shared living process because um, they can just get together with another family, rent an apartment, and then together work to provide that support. Mm-hmm. But when people need a live-in caregiver, it gets a lot more complicated, and that's when they appreciate our services to help them through that. And how long does that process continue? Is it, um, you know, once the shared home is developed, the roommate matches are are done, and the families, everyone's happy, and um, it's all set up, is there like a frequent check-in period with Partners for Housing and the families, or is it just kind of when they feel like they have questions and they need something that they reach back out? Is it a long-term relationship? <laughs> yeah. So our, our shared living development process typically takes about a year. Mm-hmm. So we help, we have um, caregiver agreements. We help with household budgets. We help with the section eight process. We help with landlord negotiations. We have a parent commitment agreement, all of these things. Once everybody it moves in together, then we offer a, a six month facilitated review process. So over a six month period, we have three facilitated reviews where we talk to the caregiver, find out what's going well, what are the challenges, house communication. We talk to the parents. Um, we often talk to the roommates. Then we have a, a, a meeting with everybody together to talk about um, you know, steps we can take to to get the home off to a good launch. Mm-hmm. After that third facilitated review, we're out and it's the caregiver that's managing the day-to-day and the parents are providing the oversight. 
Now, as things change over time, because they always do, um, a, a one roommate might move out and they might come back and say, hey, we want to look for another roommate um, or we need help onboarding another family. Um, they might have a caregiver that, and caregivers also turn over. Mm -hmm. And so when a new caregiver comes in, families might want some help onboarding that caregiver and another facilitated review process. So families can come back to us at any time mm -hmm. and we can we offer consulting services to help them through that next phase as it changes. That's fantastic. Gosh, I mean, just the things you listed from the beginning are so invaluable. Like, you know, just the contracts and then just kind of understanding everybody's role and working on rental agreements and things like that. It's one thing to buy a house and, you know, I have great intentions and I buy this house and that Sky's going to live in and I find a caregiver and all of that. But there's so many things like that you covered with us the other night, just about the section eight and about snap it's snap in our state but you know like food um food stamps or food benefits by the state and things that i wouldn't even be, know how to begin the process of but skylar's entitled to and i think that's something that a lot of people don't think about and and i admitted this on our call that i was guilty of well i can afford his food and i buy his groceries every week so i don't want to put his name on any of the lists for you know state financial assistance and things because I can provide for that, but I'm not going to be here forever. So how is he going to get, you know, the means for groceries and food if I'm not here? So he deserves to be on all of those lists and all of those programs, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and there's a lot of families that have that feel that same way. Mm -hmm. And we just try to explain that, you know, you're trying to set up a, a, a long-term solution that's financially viable. And to do that, um, you bring in all the resources that you can. And and then some families are still private paying some if, you know, depending on where they want their loved, to, loved one to live, what are their lifestyle um, preferences and expectations. And, and so sometimes families private pay as well. Mm -hmm. And you have to be careful about how you do that as well, because you can't private pay for a Medicaid funded service. So we have to just be really careful about what you private pay so you don't je jeopardize state services or SSI mm -hmm. or the benefits that people have. Yeah. So, And that's where your expertise would definitely be helpful because I'm sure people make mistakes just innocently all the time with stuff like that. I know that one of the things that's, you know, just really important to me is that any caregiver that works with Skylar is compensated well. So if they're not paid very well by their state hourly rate, I always want to give them more. And they're like, you can't really do that. I mean, like that's their respite pay, that's their rate. So I try to find other ways to like take care of them, but you just don't want to risk losing really good people and really good staff because they're not valued at an agency that they work for, you know, to be caregivers. And, and you know what, it, it, that's how you recruit and retain good people, mm -hmm. right? Is you pay them a livable wage. In our living caregivers, most of our living caregivers are making about $4,500 a month. That's tax-free awesome. for yeah. a living caregiver. They get all their housing-related costs. They often get a cell phone stipend. Sometimes they get a food stipend. Um, all of these things that the families put together to make it a really good package so they can attract and retain good people. 
And is that you can get that either by sometimes private paying extra, uh -huh. but also by, you know, sharing those costs with other families, just like all of our kids when they move out of the house, whether they have disabilities or not, most of them have roommates when mm -hmm. they start out, right? Yeah, to share the costs. And that really helps make things affordable. Yeah, for sure. That I guess that was something that I wondered is if in order to have those benefits and to have a livable wage for a caregiver, is that completely out of pocket for families or is there other resources that people probably don't know about through their states, um, you know, waivers or different things that'll pay for that? I know, I think you had mentioned like Section 8, just with all the details about Section 8, and there's a lot um, that that can sometimes help cover some of those costs for the caregiver, their rent. Yeah. And you know, if you have, if a person has a Section 8 housing choice voucher, they can request reasonable accommodation for a living caregiver and the housing authority will pay the rent of the caregiver. So there you have housing related costs that become part of the compensation package for the caregiver. And it's not coming from the families. Mm -hmm. It's, it's coming from the housing authority. So yeah. yeah, those, those pieces are really important. Sorry for the brief interruption, but I want to take a moment to recognize this episode's sponsor, Simple Spectrum Supplement. As parents of children with autism and sensory processing disorders, we often find it difficult to get our kids to eat the right foods and to get all the nutrients that their bodies need. Simple Spectrum was created for individuals with sensory needs in mind. This unflavored dissolvable powder contains only the highest quality vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients in the most bioavailable forms. And one of my favorite features of Simple Spectrum Supplement is that it's always free from gluten, casein, soy, dairy, artificial ingredients, GMOs, nuts, added sugar, preservatives, and artificial flavors. Skyler has been taking Simple Spectrum for over a year now, and we've seen increased focus and less agitation since he's been on the product. To order, visit simplespectrum.com. And as an added bonus for my listeners, Enter the code Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, 20 for additional savings. Well, I know you guys are based in Washington State and that these services with Partners for Housing are free for residents that live in Washington State, um, but that you also service uh, families out of state like mine. Um in, in filling out the form and doing all of the things, there's um, a $500 fee for it. But I mean, I can already tell you, I've already said it, what, three times now? But it's, it's I've already seen the benefit of the $500 that I paid um, to, to learn. I couldn't write fast enough with all the things that you were telling me. And then you sent me anyway. Um, so how, how does the service work for families like mine that are out of state? Okay. So, so yes, our benefits and housing review is, is $500. Mm -hmm. We were very fortunate to get a grant from the Dan Thompson Memorial grant, a huge grant to, that to help us to allow us to provide our benefits and housing review free to almost 6,000 families in Washington state. That's so amazing. it's funded by a grant and, and that piece our shared living development services is another and our consulting services are separate from that and all of our prices are are on our website but um yes families from other states can purchase it for $500 and and we can talk about the benefits in in the state of Washington for a limited time until June of 2025 
um, these uh, reviews will be free for families in Washington state. Mm -hmm. And then, so do you, do you guys research, cause we haven't gotten to that phase for us yet. Do you research like the state, um, you know, like their section, well, I guess section eight and all that stuff is federal. So it's pretty much the same everywhere, but are there certain things that you guys look into for the family that's, you know, reaching out to you from a different state or is the family kind of directed to some places to research on their own, um, yeah, the type so of the housing available part, and stuff. Yeah, the tricky part is that um, services are funded by Medicaid, and every state has their own Medicaid program. So, really exploring this the support service side um, is it's different in every state. And then, like you said, there's the federal benefits, which is going to be SSI and mm -hmm. and other social security programs, section eight, food benefits, SNAP benefits are sim similar in every state. But when you're talking about navigating the support service system, the developmental disability system in your state, it's different. So what we're trying to do is find partners in, in states that have that expertise around Medicaid services in that state. Um, and, you know, find a person that we can refer people to in mm -hmm. that state for that. Mm -hmm. um, as we move to other states, which we're doing, we that's what we do. We look for a partner first. Um, and but but we're helping a lot of people where we're not really deep in the state yet. Um, we can still help them with the benefits and housing review, think about all the services. And, and then we do spend more time on those out of state ones prior to the consultation to kind of look around. And, you know, like I said, every state's different, but there's similarities. So we can, it's, we're able to find those places, you know, ARCs are great places in to help find that other states have different programs that really specialize in that Medicaid funding piece. Mm -hmm. So um, it is tricky, just like it's tricky if you live in one state and want to move to another state, um, accessing services, it just doesn't follow the person, right? When you get to the new state, you have to apply for those ser support services in that state. Some states have wait lists that are 10 years long. Some <laughs> states don't have wait lists at all. Sometimes it takes a year, but it's tricky because of that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know yeah. if that answered your question. Yeah, but... it does. I mean, it's it's going to be similar in any state as far as like the wait list and what you want to do. Um, so would you advise people who are getting to the place of, of discussing like, alternative living arrangements for their loved one and um, kind of reviewing the different types, the adult family homes, the supportive living, whatever they're called in uh, the state that they live in and the shared housing um, to start kind of looking around for other shared homes that are already in existence, or maybe if they have the means like buying a house or converting their home into a, a tiny house, like a mother's suite or something. Um, I just, I guess for a lot of people, maybe who don't have a lot of financial resources to go and buy a separate house, what is it that they can do like today if their child is 17? I think that's even recommended like 17, you should really start 
kind of make some decisions and get on some lists, even if you're not ready, even if their name comes up on, uh, you know, like a roommate list or a paired list and you're just not ready yet, you can have them skip you. But um, I think that's where people are very frustrated and uncertain of what to do is what do I do today? So um, a good place to start is to find out what is available in your state. And mm-hmm. so if you have services and a, and a case manager, you know, finding out from them, what are the housing options? Uh, what What's available? And then if you can look at, at some of them. Now you can't look at you know, if you came, to, a lot of people come to me and say, hey, we want to look at some shared homes. Well, these are private <laughs> homes like your home and my home. Just and like a real just, realtor. <laughs> you can't it's just not a facility, in. right, that you can <laughs> yeah. just pop into unless somebody happens to be looking for another roommate and, and they're in that mode. Um, but for adult family homes in Washington state, also called the group home in other states. Mm-hmm. That's the other tricky part is different states use different languages, right. <laughs> different words. Um, but but in our state, if you're if if in Washington, if somebody was going to start exploring housing, I would say ask your case manager um, for some referrals to some adult family homes. Those are facilities. And if they have vacancies, they're looking for roommates and go look at them. And don't be disappointed or give up if you see something that like, oh my gosh, I would never, that would never work for us. Um, because every home can look different depending on the caregiver who's running it and the people who are living there. Mm-hmm. So I say, look at as many of those as as you can, because you learn a lot about what you want when you see what you don't want. So knowing, so sort of getting a feel for what's available is, is, is a good first step. And then, but always be dreaming about what is your dream vision? What, what, you know, dream big, what do you see? And, and do you have the um, ability to sort of take the lead in creating that? Now, not every family has that, right? A lot of times, just the time and the space it's you know not everybody can do that but if you do you can dream big and start thinking about what it is that you want near your family in communities of your choice living with people who are share interests with your loved one right Mm -hmm. all of those things that um that that you envision as your ideal housing solution and then you know also think about what's good enough for now right because things evolve over time Mm -hmm. and where they move now doesn't necessarily mean that's where they're going to live forever I tell you I have a lot of families that say we just want to get this set up and be done and have our place and our solution but you know how many of us live in the same home that we lived in when we first lived, moved away from our parents with the same roommates, you know, things evolve over time. So, um, you know, dreaming big and then thinking about what's good enough for now, because you can always improve on that or change it over time. Mm -hmm. I think it's important too, as, as we have kind of connected with people in our own communities, with children, similar ages as ours, um, to talk to other parents who have 
kids the same age as yours and it, what they're thinking and what they're planning, they may have the exact same idea as you, but they're not sure how they're going to do it. And if the kids, you know, are similar in, you know, nature, you know, if they're somebody who isn't noise averse and then somebody who's noisy, maybe that wouldn't work. But, um, you know, if you could see them potentially being roommates, um, you know, just have more discussions with other parents too. And maybe you'll end up finding your perfect scenario with the families working together and And, you know, a lot of families aren't talking about housing because it's a very scary thing. Yeah. And it's a a very big thought. And so when you're sitting around at a Special Olympics game, you know, regardless of the age of your family member, we're not talking about housing. So we're talking about work and what we did this weekend, but starting to bring that up, because if you see that your um, adult child has a, a good connection with other people on their teams or in school, and you also have a connection with the parents, Mm -hmm. then there is the beginning. Because I would just say that oftentimes it's easier to find compatible roommates than it is to find families that really share vision and value. And so if if you see that in both, just starting to talk about, you know, about that, but it's hard for, it really is hard for a lot of families to even get their head around that. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is when they're in school, right, you're thinking about the transition program, then you're thinking about work or day programs, or what is life going to look like? Um, But you're not really thinking about housing yet and can't, it's hard to bring that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've said many times on many episodes that it's taken me until the last year or so to really come to grips with, I'm not doing this to him. I'm doing this for him. I was always the, I'm never, never, ever going to place him anywhere, but we all can't live forever. And I think it would be a huge disservice to Skylar for me to continue thinking that way into my seventies and eighties and hit him in his forties. And you know, then what? then what I think it'd be easier, just like with anything, I think it's easier to transition him at, at a younger age, mid twenties or whatever, than it would be when he's in his forties. My daughter went to college. She's figuring it out. He deserves a chance to kind of meet other peers and figure it out and see how he does on and his own without so mama. Much, <laughs> yeah. And there's so much growth that happens. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing that I hear that time and time again, you know, when, there is so much growth that happens when somebody moves out of their family home. Our kids with disabilities, our kids without disabilities. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. And there's so much peace for parents to see that rather than waiting like, you know, for this and having a crisis come in and then having to do something suddenly, you know, mm-hmm. um, families think about sleeping at night they sleep better at night when they know their their loved one is going to be safe if if they're not here right yeah to take care of them i'm sure you have um plenty of success stories but are there any that like just sit sit on your heart all the time about maybe parents who came to you and said i don't really know that i want to do this but i think it's necessary and that have ha- seen amazing success. I just can't tell you the number of parents who, who've children are in group homes or shared living homes. And, um, 
when they come home for a visit or a weekend or something to their family home, they um, are like on eggshells wanting to get back to their house and with their friends and their life. And the parents are like, oh my gosh, I never expected that they would be this anxious to get away from me and get back to their life. So have, have you seen things like that throughout your time doing this with families? Um, a, a young woman who was completely nonverbal and her mom um, is a single, was a single mom and she worked full time and she had her, she was in day programs and, and, you know, she had a full life at home and, but she was really worried about that, that move, but she had a friend that they had known each other and gone to school with each other through um, school and the parents knew each other. And so they decided they were going to try to set up something with the ladies together. And they did. And the mom, you know, was when we were doing our facilitated reviews, you know, when I'd say, how's it going? She kept saying, I, I just don't know. I, she seems mad at me, you know, and she's not saying anything, uh, you know, she just seems mad. And I, I don't know because she, she's nonverbal. Well, then at about, I don't know, I'd say about the four month point, she called me and she said, oh my gosh, I had her home this weekend. And when it got to be five o'clock and the time to go back, she was standing by the door. And as we got near the house, she started getting really excited. And, you know, her face was full of a smile. So yes, she's happy, right? She was completely happy. So you have that. And then you have the ones that are saying, you know, mom, no, I don't want to come home this weekend. I got plans with my friends, right? We're going here and there and doing this and that. And um, so, you know. Yeah, that makes it worth it. I mean, not yeah. every case is going to be just, you know, peachy keen like that. But um, but but I think that's the other big takeaway that I've gotten over the last year or so is that um, in placing him now while he's young and I'm still able to kind of be controlling like I am and monitor everything that's going on and actually hire the caregiver and and be really close contact with the families and all of that stuff. If something is not going well and it's just not working out, then I can take him out and we'll figure, we'll regroup and we'll figure out something else. But like you said, a lot of times we unfortunately wait until an emergency placement is necessary and they don't get a say and they just get whatever beds available. And it's not a, it's a frightening experience. I got to believe for the child and for the family. And it just, it's just disruptive. It's just not easing them in. I would hope that I could ease Skylar into it, like take him to the house and let him see it. And then help have him help me try to pick out his stuff for his room and gradually discuss this with him before the actual move comes I would think that that's a huge benefit of doing it earlier than later yeah and a lot of families you know trans they p transition happens in a lot of different ways right mm -hmm. some people it's better to just move in all at once mm -hmm. a lot of people will go over a couple of times for dinner maybe have a weekend sleepover do it a little bit at a time um and until they get comfortable. And then what you see, what I often see is, um, you know, the, the young person with a disability is all in and the parents are still kind of holding on a little tight. <laughs> Guilty because, probably. <laughs> <laughs> because it's hard to kind of let go too, right? Mm -hmm. And see when they're ready. Um, a lot of parents though do see 
Uh, one other little heartwarming story, young woman um, in a wheelchair, high support needs. She actually has two living caregivers, nonverbal, um, and has a lot of support needs. Very sweet woman. Um, her mom was over one day and um, Margaret wheeled her chair over to the table and she took the keys off the table and she rolled over to her mom and put them in her mom's purse. And her mom knew that that was her sign that she was ready for her mom to go. So those <laughs> those things you start to see. Um, uh. And and she called me right away. The mom called me right away and said, you know, I think I should be sad, but I'm not. It makes me feel so happy that she was telling me to leave, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, uh, that is yeah. just, yeah. I mean, there's just, it's emotional no matter right. how you look at it, but, right. um, but and there another is so thing much to benefit. Think about is, you know, you, we, we often think of placements for people like, when you're thinking about a vacant bedroom or a group, mm -hmm. uh, some group home. Um, but when we think about shared living, it's not a placement. It is the families creating a home for their loved one, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, it's, it's, it's different because you're building it around them in a house that meets their needs in a community where they know their neighbors, um, you know, with support around them and, and, and roommates, that they know, right? Because in a shared living home, if if families are going on our matching site to find roommates, then, you know, we really encourage them to spend a year getting to know each other, right? Do things together, do activities together so they can know each other. And, and then, you know, there's a lot less lone. You can be lonely and isolated in a group home. Right. But if you have compatible roommates that are your friends, you don't have that feeling of, <clears throat> excuse me, loneliness mm -hmm. and, and isolation. I think that's one of the most genius parts about Partners for Housing is that roommate page. Um, and getting to take a look at that the other night, I I mean, it's got photos, it's got um, everything that they like and dislike. I mean, it's really like match.com almost. And but I love that the parents um, are in communication with each other and they and, and that you recommend that people talk for a long period of time. It takes that long probably to get the shared housing up and running anyway and the funding and the caregivers and all the pieces in place. So that gives them ample time to to spend time with each other. And I mean, that's how my neurotypical daughter does her college roommate situation and whatever. I mean, she's not going to just be in a room with someone she doesn't like or Pay, pay rent in a house where she doesn't like any of the people or get along with anybody. So, I mean, it, it's really no different. It's, it's really no different. I think the more that we treat our children that are disabled, that they're not disabled when it comes to things like this and decisions like this, it's easier for all of us to accept it and, you know, just yeah. make it easier on all of us. <laughs> so, so our roommate pool is, is, something that people can access after they do the benefits and housing review. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we have our consult. Once they submit it, we schedule a consultation after the consultation. We look to make sure that it's a good fit for our pool. So most people are invited into our pool, but sometimes another type of housing solution might be better for that family. Mm -hmm. um, but once we invite people in, then, um, you know, there's some questions from the benefits and housing review that pull into a profile. 
and that that an initial questionnaire is is kept between us it's the profile that families share they can edit it however they see fit they can upload a photo it really focuses on needs or i'm sorry on um interests so friendships are based on shared interests so there's a lot about interests and activities um geographical area there's a few questions about level of support need um but you know families are matching based on shared interest not disability right mm -hmm. so um um so the pool so included in that five hundred dollars for the for the benefits and housing review is the questionnaire and the questions themselves can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, the follow-up consultation, the, the review of benefits, and then access to our roommate matching pool. And so once you're in our pool, you can search by, um, so we're not matching people. We're uh, uh, providing the... platform mm -hmm. where families can um, look through profiles and search. Um, by geographical area, gender, interest, you know, number of different things. And then you can go through and browse through profiles. You can like the ones you, you can mark them as favorites. Then you can reach out to the other family as well. Um, and, and then after so, fa families get a group of people together, um, if they need a living caregiver and they want help supporting the shared living home, then they can come back um, to us and we offer the services to help them set up that home. Do you have some people make connections uh, like just friendships? They don't end up maybe being the best pairing for roommates, but they have shared interests and they like being in the community together. Because um, I just, another thing I hear a ton and I feel too, I just want Skylar to have a friend. I just want yeah. him to have one friend that's a peer that has, enjoys watching Elmo all day like he does or whatever it is. Um, and it's so hard to find. So if I'm going through all these profiles and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this young man would be a, such a good friend to Skylar, I think. And we could, you know, have play dates or like, you know, get together as families and just have more yeah and families support. reach out to other families they get to know them they mm -hmm. might be in different timelines because timing is a big thing right um, and maybe the 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 guys are really good friends but maybe there's enough difference in the families that they're not sure that that would be a, a good long-term match but yeah friendships are are created there um as well that's awesome I mean, that's just worth it in itself. <laughs> just <laughs> play matchmaker for your kids to have friends. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I, I'm just, I'm so elated that Betsy introduced me to Partners for Housing and everything that I've gotten from, from Partners for Housing for our, our own family so far has just been fantastic. So I highly recommend anyone that's thinking about this whole process of housing and and you're never too, your child is never too young really to start. I, I would still say like with Betsy, like 16, 17, 18, just start thinking about these things. You don't have to do anything, but just start giving it some consideration because it'll creep up on you. The fact that Skylar's going to be 21 very soon is just mind blowing to me. I'm, I, I swear I just did a podcast when he was 16 and I'm like <laughs> talking about, man, when he hits his twenties, I don't know what I'm going to do. And <laughs> we're already there. So yeah. And, you know, you know, families who do that, our questionnaire, like 17, 17 and a half is a great, 
a great time just to start thinking about the benefits that they could be eligible for as an adult, because mm -hmm. systems change from the child to the adult system and getting, even if you're not thinking about housing, moving out until they're in their mid twenties, but starting at that, you know, starting early is, is good to get the benefits they're eligible for, maximize those benefits so that when you're ready to move out, then you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. And just learning about them. There's still mm -hmm. things I'm, I'm learning about. And in our case, um, I've been very candid that we're going to probably move. So I'm looking at a couple different states and you've got several states listed out there aside from Washington with the roommate pool and, um, you know, different resources and information out there. I think it's what, like seven or eight states that you have. Yeah. Listed. So right now we are in Washington, Arizona, New York, Georgia, Indiana, we yeah. have <laughs> um, Connecticut, New Jersey. Um, our pools are not big in those other states, right. yet, which is why we are always looking for funding um, like we got in Washington State so that we can provide initial services for free to build up our pool. And then, you know, it's easier to attract other people into the pool once you have a good big pool mm -hmm. but um so yeah so we're growing we're looking awesome. at the opportunity well I appreciate the information so much I'm sure a lot of listeners learned a lot of information from you I will link up um, the partners for housing website uh, is there anything else that you want to leave people with any advice or suggestions you've already given a ton but um <laughs> aside from starting early you know starting early and dreaming big and mm -hmm. nothing is you know nothing's impossible but you have to be able to dream it to do it so dream dream big and and you know you don't have to just picture that that one vacant bedroom in a state-run program dream big mm, and yeah. um yeah and imagine a life of them being independent from you and how much joy you will get to in seeing them thrive in their independence and you thriving too in your life as a parent of an adult, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, just, uh, I guess a last comment would be, this is something that I've already started talking to Skylar about in various ways. I've just kind of inched this into the conversation. Like when we took my daughter to college and I was talking to him about, you know, I'd love to know someday if you want to move in with some roommates or things, um, even though he's nonverbal, I mean, he, he can spell eventually back to me what is, what his interests are and hopes are. Um, so I, I think that's been helpful so that when this day comes, it's not being sprung on him. We've talked about him moving out and, you know, not living with us forever. And it's not a punishment in any way. And nor are we giving up on him. That was my biggest fear. I don't ever want him to feel like, we gave him away or we gave up because that's the furthest from the truth. I'm trying to give him more of a life of his own and detach myself from him. I'm cutting the cord with myself because I'm a lot. <laughs> so, And you know, it, and it is, there's some certain times when it's really easy to put it in the conversation, like your sister's moving out and someday you're going to move out and live with roommates too. And, mm -hmm. and, and talking, starting to just have the conversation early, like, you know, someday when you move out, what, what would you like, you know, one, one young woman, all she wanted was a red couch. 
So start talking about her red couch someday when she moves out. Or when you get new dishes, maybe you put the other ones in the garage and you say, someday when you move out, these can be yours. So just having those mm -hmm. um, simple conversations whenever you can to bring them in. Because it is difficult if you never talk about it. I've, I have had parents too where, you know, they can only talk about it when their loved one is not around because yeah. it causes so much anxiety it's, it's sometimes if you just make it part of the natural conversation of adulthood mm -hmm. um, it makes that easier yeah for sure well thank you so much Pam right. it's been thank wonderful of course and I look forward to our continued conversations about wherever the heck I end up yes <laughs> whatever thank state you. it is <laughs> well thank you have a good rest of your day all right. I hope you Thank enjoyed you. this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.